So how did we get involved with Anchor? I mean, um, the, the, the short story is that, you know, we've been, uh, I've been a podcasting nerd for a long time. I mean, I think we're on Betaworks and, you know, uh, we've, um, uh, we've been, you know, since the early days of you know, what they called originally podcatchers and sort of RSS enclosures and all that good stuff. We've been messing around and interested in podcasting. Um, the the anchor team uh, you know, came to us when they were still working at Avery, um, which was a company which um, uh, Adobe had acquired, and that uh, the two founders of Anchor, Mike and Nia, were over there, and uh, they uh, we had some mutual friends, and they said, "Hey, can we come by BetaWorks and uh, demo a app that we've been working on in our spare time?" And so they came by uh, one of our weekly demo sessions and they did a demo and it was, um, it was obviously first version of Anchor and it was, the product was a bit different to, you know, what they ended up uh, putting in market and it was a bit different to what they ended up, uh, uh, the product that ended up getting to scale and getting acquired by Spotify. Mm -hmm. But it was, but it was a really compelling uh, you know, and an interesting way to the core of what they were doing was, and the itch that they were trying to scratch was always, how can we give people more access or make it simpler for people to create podcasts? Just like make it easier to create a podcast, which was, a, it was always has been, you know, since the early days of podcasting, kind of a pain in the ass to actually create one. And, and, so, and uh, you know, acquire as well. And what? Acquire it as well. In other words, difficult to uh, find it, find right. it, yes. discover it, uh, play it, uh, you know, various other kinds right. of uh, difficulties. Right, right. Um, uh, uh, analytics are hard. Um, monetization, you know, all of those things are hard. Um, and they exist in a whole set of, you know, somewhat you know, um, some of them are desktop tools, some of them are uh, native iPhone tools, and they wanted to create something that was completely native to um, the mobile device and just the ability to really do simple, um, I want to create, uh, just have a conversation and make it into a podcast, kind of what we're doing now, Steve. Yeah, and uh, what I find fascinating is, I, I don't remember exactly how, uh, Anchor worked at the beginning uh, when I first uh, downloaded it, but uh, at this point, it not only is leveraging the the podcasting moment, but it's also leveraging the mobile moment. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree, and I think that um, uh, you know, in the early days, if I remember right, they um, that early version. I was trying to remember exactly what it was, but. Um, if I remember right, it was basically create a podcast um, and um, and also it had a network built in. And so you could, you know, publish it out to a set of people um, and uh, that you could listen to it through a podcast feed, but you could also listen to it through the dedicated app. And so what they were trying to do was create, um, you know, sort of a... Twitter-like experience of in audio, um, you know, basically create and discover, 
um, or publish and, and subscribe. And, um, and I think over time, um, you know, what they did was they, you know, got, they, they just got better and better and making the tool to actually create, um, you know, functional and, and useful. And, you know, by the time Spotify acquired it, um, I think about a third of the podcasts every week were being published on Anchor. So what do you think about uh, the Spotify strategy and, uh, you know, and uh, its competition with uh, uh, podcasts, the, the Apple uh, client? I mean, you know, the Spotify guys have, and Daniel Eck and the team over there, they've done an incredible job of, you know, in spite of, you know, pretty tough headwinds of building out this amazing, you know, audio subscription product. And when I, when I met with him and talked to Daniel about this, you know, his view is, is that podcasting is just another instance of audio. So you think about Spotify, most people think about it today as being music. He thinks audio. And so he thinks talk radio and podcasts should absolutely be part of that. So they have this, you know, they built out this um, very powerful offering um, for an audio based um, subscription bundle and putting podcasting into that just makes a lot of sense. Um, I think that the, you know, Anchor and the Anchor acquisition, you know, they, they intend, uh, they've said publicly that they want to keep Anchor as a, uh, as a separate brand uh, that is about the tools for podcasting. And so my, my understanding is the team, you know, since the acquisition was announced, and closed in sort of March, April, is the team over there have been working, you know, hard to you know, just build out the tool set and continue to build out the anchor, you know, tool set for creation, for discovery, for monetization, all that good stuff. So how, do, how does, I mean, you know, the podcasting landscape is being, um, is changing. Uh, you know, I, I think it's, you know, on one hand, you've got sort of Spotify who's, um, innovating and, and making obviously large acquisitions of Anchor, Gimlet, and a few others um, in the space. And then you also have emerging players who are sort of, you know, trying to do dedicated um, sort of Netflix-like experiences, um, you know, or destinations for podcasting like Luminary. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you have, so you have, you know, a pretty interesting and diverse landscape that's beginning to you know, pop up and then you have, you know, the rumors, I'm not sure if they were confirmed that Apple's going to be doing, um, creating podcasts that will be, I think, available, um, uh, probably premium, but um, uh, on the Apple podcasting app. Mm-hmm. And so, so I, I think you have, on one hand, you have some innovation, but you do have this balkanization, which I'm not, you know, which I don't like, right? It's like, the, I mean, one of the wonders of podcasting is, is that you've always been able to say, oh, I want to hear a podcast about X. I'm just going to go find it, right? And then I'll listen to it on whatever tool I want to listen to it on. And what, what I think the world we're going towards now is more similar to, you know, the video over the top um, video market where you go, oh, okay, I want to watch, you know, program x where is it oh, okay it's on hulu um i want to watch y oh, okay that's on netflix i want to watch the and that's on apple 
So you've got to go, you got to go to the individual platform and you've got to be a subscriber at, on the individual platform to get the content. Well, it doesn't that suggest that uh, the kind of bundling that we're starting to see uh, is going to occur in the podcast space? Well, I mean, people are betting on that. I'm not, I, I am not convinced it's going to work in the podcast space. Um, because I think that if you're a, if you're Spotify and you've got an existing bundle, then I can see it working because people view it as part of the existing audio bundle. But I think the idea that I'm going to, you know, um, uh, download and subscribe and pay for a individual audio, um, uh, bundle the way you do for video. I'm just not sure if I buy that there's uh, outside of certain very niche verticals that there's a big enough audience who, of people who, and there's enough um, uh, uniqueness in the individual audio experiences that uh, people are going to want to do that. Right. I don't think necessarily that uh, the economic model in general uh, of uh, advertising and podcasting really makes a lot of sense. What do you mean by that? Well, uh, you know, I, I have a peculiar kind of attitude, which is, is that I, I find it really difficult to actually listen to any podcasts, uh, mostly because, uh, you know, I would, wouldn't listen to this if it wasn't for the fact that we're actually doing it. Uh, and I'm, I'm being facetious, but not really. The, the, the motivation for... Uh, acquiring or engaging with the podcast seems to me to be much more of a business-to-business -business kind of model than a business-to-consumer model. So I'm not sure I agree with you. I mean, I think, well, I, I, I mean, I, I don't agree with you. I, um, I, I listen to a ton of podcasts, right? I mean, my podcasting app of preference is Breaker which is another company we backed. And, you know, what I love about Breakup, it's a, it's a sort of, it's a power podcasting tool, um, but you can actually, you can see what other people are listening to. So you can see the feed of what I listen to. And, you know, I listen to maybe somewhere between, you know, probably on the low end three and on the high end 10 hours of podcast per week. Mm -hmm. um, and I listen to them when I'm, either in transit, commuting, uh, working out, uh, walking dog. Um, and, um, yeah, I, I, I love listening to podcasts and, and now I think that the monetization model is still very much under development, right. And, um, you know, there's questions of bundles and how they, you know, are they going to evolve and will they exist on podcasting? I think isn't very, is very much up for grabs. Um, I think advertising has worked surprisingly well for quite a few people, particularly threat marketing advertising has worked well in podcasting. Um, but, you know, the, the other business model that I'm keen on here is uh, I also uh, am I'm lucky enough to serve on the board at, at uh, New York Public Radio. So uh, you know, the public radio model of support this um, I think is is another business model that needs to be developed. 
Yeah, and uh, I I know that in my inarticulate way, uh, it may not sound like it, but that's that model I think is successful in podcasting. And I think it, when I say B two B, I'm really saying that. Uh, I'll give you an example. B two B. Okay. There's a uh, a podcast that I listened to the other day, uh, which was. Uh, the gentleman, I've forgotten his name all of a sudden, of course, uh, that uh, works, uh, Peter Kafka. Yeah. Uh, and he had an interview, and this was June 2019, with a, a guy named Matthew Ball. Now, I'm familiar with Matthew Ball through a somewhat circuitous route, which is, starts with you, of course, uh, with your friend Jason Hirschhorn uh, and Media Redef. And they've started publishing or have been publishing for some time these uh, deep dives into uh, over-the-top video and mm -hmm. Netflix, etc. And uh, this guy, Matthew Ball, is just a, a, a stone-cold genius. He makes uh, Benedict Evans look like he's uh, at, uh, you know, very slow speed. But, and I say that only because they're both geniuses. So uh, there was a commentary somewhere uh, in my uh, information grazing uh, that pointed out this conversation. So this is not me being uh, subscribed to, to uh, the Peter Kafka thing. I mean, I've, I've heard uh, things from him before, but this was just a really rare opportunity to get uh, a full hour of Matthew Ball uh, Un, you know, uh, what's the, uh, Uncut. The, Uncut. yeah, or whatever yeah. the MTV, uh, uh, nomenclature was. And, uh, you know, so th finding those things and the mechanism to find those things is, I think the, the true business model of podcasting. Yeah. Yeah. I hear you. I'm looking at it now. I mean, I'll tell you also the way that my workflow you know, the way I've set up my workflow around podcasting now is that if somebody, people will tell me about something I should listen to. And I always was, you know, I, I used to use Overcast, I used to use the Apple app, I used a bunch of different apps. My workflow now on Breaker is very simply that I'm, uh, I will, you know, search for Kafka, Matthew, Matthew Ball on Breaker's website, um, and um, and then I will uh, I, I will take that and add it to my want to listen to playlist. And so I have a playlist of the you know individual episodes that I want to listen to. Um, and so yeah, it, and it's take and that sounds really kind of basic and dumb that you have to do this, but I think the discovery is still so um, is is. Um, it's still so rudimentary and difficult right now um, that uh, there's a ton of great content out there and it's just hard to um, navigate and find it. Well, one of the things about Breaker, which uh, I don't really listen to things on Breaker, but uh, its notifications are extremely valuable because they're smart uh, in the way that they uh, tag effectively in the notification who has listened to it. So I'll see John Borthwick and Chris Messina and 12,000 other people uh, have 
listen to this podcast. And it's not so much that I'm going to go listen to the podcast uh, as that I'm aware of, you know, the zeitgeist of what's going on. There's a, this emerging right. sort of discovery social network uh, around podcasting that I think I, I agree with you. It's early days, but it's already pretty damn powerful because of the at mention uh, environment on Twitter and the, uh, you know, some of the newer uh, networks like uh, LinkedIn, although I don't use LinkedIn very much. I've seen people uh, who I interact with, particularly in the analyst space, uh, use that network as a way of triggering access to shows that they've produced that are then go, they go wide on either uh, Periscope or on YouTube. So there's this ecosystem culture. It's hard to describe what it is, but it feels like it's coming on fast. Right. 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 I agree. I mean, I think that the, I, I think that, yeah, I agree that the, the notification stream from Breaker is a rich stream. I just, I, I think that notifications have just become generally so hard to navigate on iOS that um, when I see them, I appreciate them, but I don't see them enough because I've turned most of them off. Right. Well, you know, you know me, I, I've turned <laughs> all of them on and, yes. <laughs> uh, and then I turn off the individual ones that get too noisy. So it, uh, somewhere in between those two positions is where most people are. Mm-hmm. So uh, you, you mentioned early uh, in the conversation, you talked about uh, a superset of podcasting being, I think you called it audio. Yeah. All right. What does that mean? And, you know, I don't think that uh, it's coincidental that you're uh, doing a show, uh, a conference, uh, you know, various other kinds of things that I'd like you to sort of, uh, you know, explain uh, as much as you can in the short time that we have what's going on with beta works and studios and uh, <coughs> on and on in audio. <clears throat> yeah. So we took some early bets in the audio space. And for us that included the, the breadth of that, that included everything from podcasting, podcast creation, podcast analytics, um, podcast content, like in the, um, all the way to, to smart speakers, smart um, uh, headphones, the AirPods, and new interfaces like that, right? Um, and so um, we, we did that, you know, starting four, four, four and a half years ago, uh, rolling forward to today. You know, we're now, um, you know, last Friday, we announced that our next um, camp uh, would stage sort of, pre-structured, pre-seed uh, way of doing investing is going to be focused on uh, next generation audio interfaces. And then uh, at, uh, in addition, we are doing a conference um, at studios that is going to be at the end of September, uh, which is going to be uh, a full day deep dive into next generation audio interfaces. And so uh, what we're particularly interested in is, is that we see the sort of a third wave of, of audio that is emerging, right? So if the first wave was very traditional audio and music, if the second wave was podcasting and some of these smart speakers, we're now seeing a third wave emerge. 
And I, I would say that it is, um, uh, it's characterized by some, some, not all of the following is number one is that uh, we're seeing startups emerge around, um, you know, what I would refer to as ambient audio experiences, right? So right now I'm talking to you on my AirPods and uh, yeah, if uh, the services and apps out there, which are starting to explore the possibility of having a ambient background, audio sound that I could, uh, I could hear that you wouldn't hear as part of this conversation that would give me some information that was either contextually relevant to the conversation or contextually relevant to something which I would want to know. And so I know what you're thinking, John, that's a freaking notification. Um, it's, it, we're, starting, we're starting to see audio notifications appear. And I think getting those right, because I think text-based visual notifications have become sort of, you know, to a greater degree, uh, at least I have been drowning under sort of the tragedy of the commons of just like too many. Okay, and, well, that's, that's twice now. I, you don't get a third time. Okay, so two knocks on notifications, but there were audio notifications coming, right? And so that's one area. A second area that I think is really um, interesting is that we're starting to see audio transposition uh, software out there. So, you know, how many times have you been on a phone call and, uh, you know, it's either crappy reception or it cuts out or, it, you know, something happens, right? And those software that people are starting to develop out there that basically will take an audio stream, me speaking on the phone, and will in real time both save it and also enhance it so that it's clear what I'm saying. And so that if, you know, so that you on the other end could have either, a, unclear whether this would be a separate app or this happens in the, uh, on the telephony side, on the network side, but you, you would have a continuous stream and you would hear, actually hear what I say, right? And those cutouts would be like eliminated, right? Because I think the telephony is still, is even in 2019, telephony, you know, we're walking around and using these phones most of the time, but when we use them as phones, they often don't work. So enhancing, you know, sort of voice streams is the second area mm -hmm. of innovation that we're seeing. Um, another area of innovation we're seeing is just the tools for podcasting. Uh, so uh, monetization, uh, backing podcasters, you know, you know, saying I want to support you, analytics for podcasting. So we're going to do a, um, uh, both a full day session up at Baywork Studios to discuss this stuff. And then we're going to do one of our 12-week programs where you know, we bring in a set of companies and we invest in all of them. Uh, and the applications of that are going to, uh, I think, be open in a week or so. So a lot of stuff around audio. So tell us about uh, studios just in general. What's going on there? So, you know, studios is, um, studios is the club, um, the clubhouse that we opened up a year ago, a little bit over a year ago. Um, it's uh, here in New York. And, you know, since we, op since we opened it, we've seen 16,000 people come through. Uh, we have a core group of members um, who are, you know, who get access to all of the uh, events and programming that we do every week at studios. We're doing somewhere, believe it or not, in order of eight to 12 events per week now. 
the amount of people who are using it. I mean, it's summertime here in New York, right? It is uh, 95 degrees out and, uh, you know, a lot of people are out of, out of the city. I walked in this morning and, um, and I was just amazed to see it was just studios was, you know, 10 a.m. was probably at 60% of capacity. And so, you know, pretty much every day this summer, we've been by midday somewhere around 70%, 80% of capacity. And so we've got a lot of, um, a lot of people are using it. Um, and then a lot of people are coming to the events. And then we added in these, um, these conferences that we're doing once every other month. And so every eight weeks, we do a deep dive into some area of frontier tech. And so the first one we did was around synthetic media. Second one we did was around the humanization of technology, which we did uh, last month. And so that was at the end of July. And then at the end of September, we do uh, Hearing Voices, which is the voice one. And then uh, the last one before the end of the year will be around um, a component of gaming. And so um, so it's, um, you know, a lot of, um, there's a lot of stuff happening at studios. So uh, we're winding down here. Uh, and uh, I guess what I'd like to, I mean, there's been this perception, I think, as a result of many things, including the uh, omnipresent Trump problem, uh, that uh, tech has sort of receded into the background and no longer has uh, the dominant position in our in our minds uh, that it did, uh, you know, maybe three years ago and beyond. Uh, do you agree with that? Or if not, why not? No, I mean, look, I think that when you say dominant position in our minds, I mean, we have, we have, you know, a lot of very real challenges short and long term to deal with as a society, as a culture, as a species. And I think that tech is absolutely central to um, most of the changes that are going on um, with society, culture, and our species. Um, and so, you know, when you talk about everything from nativism to, um, to artificial intelligence and, you know, sort of brain-machine interfaces and, you know, sort of the, the evolution of our of what it means to be human. I, I mean, tech is, tech is at the forefront of all of those conversations. Now, I do think that tech has you know, generally failed to, um, you know, to communicate a lot of that effectively to a lot of constituents. And I think that tech, you know, the tech lash that we're going through now, I don't see it as a tech lash, which tech, the term tech lash, like, you know, embedded in there is the assumption that we're going to, it's a backlash and we're going to have a swing back and there's going to be another tech love fest. I think it's just tech growing up and it's about tech, you know, actually having to talk to the rest of society, the rest of the culture and the rest of our species and people out there about what it's doing, why, and, um, and when it gets things wrong, how it's going to fix them. So, and so I think it's about the, the whole industry is now growing up and just becoming part of everything. So do you see uh, when you think about what you're doing and what's 
at the top of the pyramid and uh, you know how your priorities uh, have either remained the same or changed uh, in light of what you just said. Uh, is, do you think that you're doing what you used to think you were doing? No, I, th I think that what, I mean, I, I'm trying to, I'm trying to do things and do what we do here at Betaworks uh, differently and, and, you know, on a scale better, right? And I'm, you know, the reason why we opened the studios business uh, was to, you know, to start to broaden those conversations across different constituents on what, you know, how tech implicates, you know, society, cities, education, medical, you know, all the different constituents that tech is now touching. And so, so we're trying to do things differently and, you know, on a scale, you know, uh, trying to do things, uh, trying to do things better. I have this, um, I have this belief that the, um, that if we, if we could change that, that part of the problem with tech is that we need to change the way we build things. You know, um, I, I mean, I named the company Betaworks because I believe the betas work and it was very much sort of an outgrowth of the agile uh, development process and sort of like move fast and break things, just fucking ship it. And I think that we're now realizing that we need to have a um, both more integrative and, uh, and also more purposeful uh, understanding of what it means to actually ship something, right? And so, um, you know, if, you know, God forbid you have, you know, in the next 10 years or I have some, you know, life-threatening need for surgery and, you know, the last thing I hear before I'm being wheeled into the operating theater is some, you know, technician saying, oh, have you tried this, this you know, machine or this thing on anybody? Oh, no, it's just a beta. Let's just fucking ship it, you know? just like try it <laughs> that's i'm i'm not gonna be happy with that and um and i look let's you know the the you know hundreds of souls who like you know died in the uh in those boeing aircrafts because of software fault right where it seemed that humans were trying to correct and the software basically drove those planes into the ground i think that we need to we need to think about how we're developing, you know, software differently. And whether it's, you know, Facebook and what's happened in, uh, in Myanmar and Asia and, you know, a whole bunch of, um, uh, you know, whether it's, you know, Cambridge Analytica and Facebook's, you know, policies, but vis-a-vis -vis API and third-party developers, or whether it's Boeing and how they're actually shipping software. Um, I, I think that we need to think and work differently and build things differently. And so uh, we're trying to, in our small way, do some of that. Um, it is, um, you know, it's, it's, a, uh, it's a big, uh, tech is now, you know, a huge industry and uh, changing it is going to be hard, but you've got to start somewhere. Well, I, I would push back only in the sense that when you say it's in some small way or uh, you know, little is has a opportunity to get very big very fast, right? And, uh, right, and that's where I'm, I'm trying to understand where how you see uh, the the leverage point for what you're doing these days. Right. Well, look, we're living in a um, 
we both created and we're living in a world which is, you know, dominated by networks, not hierarchies. And so little and nodes can grow very quickly. They can cluster very quickly. And I think that, you know, what we're trying to do is we're trying to figure out how we can build better, build differently. We're trying to use, you know, the combination of studios, that business, the physical space to generate and start some of these conversations. And then we're trying to find those sort of unique leverage points where we can say, okay, here's a place where we can really, you know, demonstrate how, uh, you know, something is working better because of, because of this process change. And so, you know, I would say we're, it's, it's, uh, it's early days on all this, um, but it is, um, uh, I think it's important work because the, uh, the stuff which we built and what we've done over the last 20, 25 years has just like, has changed the world in so many good ways. I think that the, uh, you know, tech is not broken. Tech just needs to grow up and, or just to evolve and be more and, 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 and become more related to the rest of society. And so it's, um, uh, all of that I see as an opportunity, um, not as a constraint. Well, uh, this is, uh, it's been great to be able to sort of uh, reconnect with you and to touch base. And also, I'm hopeful that uh, we'll be able to figure out ways of being able to extend this uh, beyond uh, the studio's walls uh, using some of the technology like podcasting and, and uh, streaming uh, to be able to uh, create a larger network conversation. So I would love that. Love that. Okay, John Borthley, thank you okay. so much. Thanks, Steve. Have a good day. Bye.